Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. We are actually starting a series today that I wasn't expecting. But as often is the case during the year, my preaching schedule gets upended at times because of whatever the current need is that the country or the church has at the particular, this particular moment. So we've got a series that is actually leading to the July 4th weekend that I'm titling, Only United Will We Stand. Only United Will We Stand. And I've got to tell you that as a pastor, I'm shaking in my shoes a little bit as we get ready to approach this subject because other than money and sex, the next most difficult subject for a pastor, the next no-win kind of sermon for a pastor is actually talking about racial harmony. Now today, I am surely going to be an equal opportunity offender. I'm going to offend some white people. I'm sure of that. I'm going to offend some black people. I'm sure of that. I'm just not going to be able to say everything in every way that, the, that needs to be said in order to be able to get the message across how I'm feeling it in my heart. I'll do my best, but I know that it's a rock and hard place right now. Not only that, there will be some races that feel as though I've snubbed them, left them out altogether. Why didn't you mention me and my race? Some will think I've said too much. Others will think I've said too little. Others will imagine, no matter what I say, that I didn't say it with quite the right tone or emphasis or in the right language. That's just the way this kind of topic goes, and I know that. I know that for pastors it's a no-win kind of situation other than if the Lord works a miracle and we open ourselves to listening to the fullness of the gospel as it relates to this particular topic. Where do we start when we address something like this that's such a culturally hot topic? We've got to start with the Bible. We have to start with the Bible. We might say right now that even though this is a biblical subject, Many might say, oh my goodness, I can't take it. It's being addressed everywhere. It's being talked about everywhere. I can't turn on the radio. I can't turn on the TV. I can't look at my phone without it talked about everywhere. Why do I, why does my pastor have to intrude on my Sunday morning and talk about it again? I get that. I, I get that. And I'll tell you why. Because the church was commissioned by Jesus to be the example to the world of how to live. That's why. Because the church sets the standard. Not the government, not various organizations. The church, according to God, is to set the standard for all principles of living. And so who better to address the racial issue than the people who claim God the God of the Bible actually created all the races. It's the church that has the original claims 
to what it means to be unified and united. So I'm asking you to approach the next couple of weeks leading up to July 4th with open hands. If we all come to each other like this, if we're all postured in a defensive, fighting way, if we're all postured with our arms crossed and hands closed, there, there's no way we're really going to get anywhere. But it's when the church comes together with open hands and says, Lord, I want you to teach me whatever you need me to, need to learn. And Lord, I'm here to give whatever you're calling me to give. My hands are open. My soul is open. That's what I'm asking you to do for these next few weeks. Please don't let other organizations, media outlets, or politics close your hands and lock you up. I'm inviting you to open your posture to hear the heart of your pastor, who I hope has captured the heart of the Heavenly Father. And ultimately, we are going to be better for it. Now, the place that a Christian should start when addressing any issue is the Bible. The Bible has much to say about the diversity of earth and the unity of heaven. It has much to say about majorities and minorities and how they interact with each other. Class struggles, socioeconomic struggles, etc., etc. Where the HCC Soul family wants to start with this issue is the Bible in order to be on the same page. If we can get on the same page with regard to the Bible, then we will be in a good position. And that particular page, ultimately, is the reality that this past week, June 10th, this past Wednesday, we created a foundation. We as a church leadership laid the biblical foundation of how we are to address this issue. In fact, the elders and two Sophia, two elders and two Sophia council members conducted what I consider an excellent Bible study concerning what unity in the kingdom of God actually looks like. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I'm telling you as strong as I can tell you that this is required viewing or required listening if you really want to get on the same page. If we're going to start with the Bible, We've got to start with a really good study of Scripture as to what the Bible says about the unity of heaven and the diversity of earth. And this past Wednesday, July 10th, we did exactly that. The Wilsons and the Harrises did an expert job of laying down a biblical foundation for everything that we're going to talk about and apply to cultural issues. We can't move forward in unity if we don't start with the Bible. And last Wednesday's Bible study on Facebook Live, that is where you need to start. Even if you're getting up to speed right now today with me sharing this message, you need to go back and listen to that biblical study of unity in the body of Christ so that we can move forward in understanding the cultural issues of our day. The Bible study, that Bible study, lays the foundation for everything I'm going to say in the next few weeks. And I'm going to say a lot. I'm going to say a lot in the next few weeks about culture in the kingdom of heaven and culture in the kingdom 
of earth. Particularly how heaven is exemplified on earth as it is in heaven. By the Christian church, by us, by you, by me. We are individuals called to live in a certain way with regard to this subject and we are collectively as the church called to live and act and respond in a certain way. We must get unity right inside the church first before we can export a vision of unity outside the church to the world because only united will we stand. Only united will we stand. It's the title of my sermon series and it is my great hope for our church and our nation. And Lord knows we desperately need some unity right now. We could all use in our culture a little bit of unification coming our way. I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. It's not anything physical. It's not like I'm sick or physically depleted in any way. But mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm just exhausted by the pandemic, by the financial, racial, and political stress that we've been under as a world and as a nation for the past three months, particularly the last couple weeks. Notice I didn't say exasperated. That's not what I said. I said exhausted. I said exhausted because if I were to say exasperated, that would indicate that I'm annoyed. And I'm not annoyed. I'm not annoyed at all. In fact, I'm more motivated than ever to lead well through this season of stress. But I am exhausted by the expenditure of all of the emotional capital related to these particular stressors. If you're feeling exhausted, on edge, anxious, sleepless, depressed, lost, angry, you're not crazy and you're not alone. Most of the world is feeling just like that right now generally. We are in a pandemic of stress right now. I would say potentially more dangerous than the corona pandemic is the current social stress pandemic that's occurring right now. Eric Clapton wrote a song a long time ago when he was going through a particularly difficult, terrible time in his life. And at the very same time, he was watching a social situation unfold in front of him regarding tense racial moments. And he felt like he and the world around him were falling apart. And I've really identified with this song at certain points in my life when there have been long periods of mounting, compiling stress. And you might be feeling the same way that Clapton and I feel right now that it's got to get better in a little while I, not a long while I needed to get better in a little while because I'm feeling the heaviness of it here's some of the lyrics out of that song that he writes don't you know what's wrong with me I'm seeing things I don't want to see I'm going down fast won't you say a prayer for me revolution across the land 
you got to take a stand. Please don't hurt nobody. Don't knock them down. Give them a helping hand to get up off the ground. It's got to get better in a little while. Still one thing you can do. Fall down on your knees and pray. I know the Lord's going to answer you. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it today. It's got to get better in a little while. Goodness. I think we're all feeling the stress of how bad things feel physically, emotionally, racially, economically. I'm exhausted. You might feel like you're exhausted too. It's got to get better in a little while. And I'm telling you, don't ignore the way you feel. The way you feel is not crazy. And the way you feel is not just about you. It's about what everybody's feeling right now. But you can't do it alone. You've got to start stepping up with self-care. You've got to start recognizing that you cannot trust the world to make you feel better. You cannot trust the world to make you feel better. If you're expecting for external circumstances to align themselves so that you can feel better, you're disoriented. If you're waiting for the world of circumstances to change so you can feel better, you're building your house, your life house, on shifting sand. But if you wait for the Lord and build your life house on the Spirit in you, it will be founded on the solid rock of Christ so that no matter what storm swirls around you, peace will be yours, as content as a baby in the arms of his mother, as is offered by Psalm 131. Stop looking to your political candidate. Stop looking to your political party. Stop looking for all kinds of organizations outside there somewhere for peace. Stop looking to your doctor. Stop looking to your spouse. Stop looking to your financial planner for peace. Peace only comes from the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ, the Rock of Ages. This is the rock, a foundation that is a person. This rock is a person. Not a religion, but a person. Not a political party, but a person. Christianity generally and Christians specifically are called to a life of stability and peace. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed himself in the Gospels, that people unite with him so that they can unite with others. Peace with him first, peace with others second. This was his prayer so that the world will know that indeed God did send Jesus to save not only you, but the world. Jesus is the rock-solid foundation of peace on every level. And I believe that America's founding fathers seemed to know this and wanted to found the nation on the solid rock of God's Word. Consequently, so much of America's early documents and literature were rich in gospel language founding this nation on Christ and Christ's principles as a witness to the world that God indeed did send Jesus to save the world. So let's consider that sentiment wrapped in one phrase 
that many of us were taught as children to memorize. The Pledge of Allegiance. Do you remember that? The Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now I want us to take a moment and consider those underlined words. Our nation doesn't seem very united right now. It doesn't seem very one or seriously indivisible. And where is there at the moment justice for all? It feels right now the opposite. Or at least we're on shifting sand and it's tough to get our feet right now under us. Even within the church, this feels very unsettled in us right now. Even within our American Christian church, it seems tense and divided. The current racial tension is one of many examples of how fractured and fragile this unity really is. The current racial tension right now is one of many examples of disunity that we're experiencing. But this racial tension right now provides us as a nation and also as the church primarily the opportunity to take a step in the right direction towards unity and peace as a people inside and outside the church. So let's take a moment and focus on our current racial tension as an opportunity to show the world how Christ makes a difference just like the Wilsons and the Harrises taught us last Wednesday night. Now, to get some context, you know that this societal outburst of protesting doesn't come from a vacuum. It doesn't come from nowhere. It's the same thing with most paroxysms or eruptions of intensity. Think about this, an engine can seize up, a perfectly fine looking engine can seize up. You can get in your car and start your car and drive down the road and everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden, it all locks up and freezes. But every mechanic would tell you that there's an underlying issue. That just doesn't happen. If something underneath, something inside is not broken or maladjusted, maybe through operator error, maybe through negligence, that made a perfect-looking engine seize. If you don't want that to happen again, you can't just keep trying to crank the engine. You can't keep trying to drive the engine. You've got to take it apart, figure out what's wrong inside of it, put it back together, and then perhaps we'll be able to get it unlocked and moving like we'd like it. Maybe another example will help. Often I get to know people or a family that looks so good on the outside. Well put together, perfect looking Christian family. And then find out that there's been a breakdown. They, someone's committed suicide. Someone's getting a divorce. And I'm always shocked. 
but they look so happy, but they look so fine, everything looked fine. And all of a sudden, I'm shocked at the announcement. One more example. A doctor will tell you that stress will reveal the weakness of any person's physical health. Some kind of stressor, physiological or physical stressor, will come into a person's life and reveal the weakness that had underlied their health, their apparent ostensible health and well-being. We, as human beings, physically tend to break or break down in areas that are already weak that we don't even really know. It's the same for society. For a period of time, it may look like everything is just fine regarding race in this country. That it's all balanced and it's looking good from that 30,000 foot level. But once an event of stress is applied, the weakness comes to the surface. It's revealed fast. And what it reveals is often the ugliness just below this polished surface. And it gets really uncomfortable really quickly. There are some of you right now that are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to tune this out. I'm switching off. I got a remote, Steve. You can do this to me when I'm at church, but not at home. Click. That's possibly what some of you might be feeling right now. But if you'll hang in there with me, I think I'll make some points that may help you, help me, help us, the church, open up to another way of thinking. On May 25th, another event of stress was applied to what we've come to learn as a fragile nation. One nation, under God, indivisible, etc., etc. The stressor revealed an ugly, underlying, divided nation, apparently divisible due to underlying, unresolved issues of our society. For nine minutes, we watched the last proverbial racial straw laid on the back of an already stressed national camel. I watched a man of the white majority who was in authority murder a man of the black minority. I watched the notion of justice for all crumble once again before my very eyes when, a, when that man of authority, as a majority, acted on the spot as judge, jury, and executioner. And as expected, the ensuing eruption of racial infection that has obviously been bubbling just under the surface of what could look like a perfectly polished society any other day, on that day, it burst forth. It burst forth with rage and passion and emotion. It seemed, and it does seem, rather than united in standing, we are currently divided and falling. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says this, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. This makes for harmony among all the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Previous to that and after that, he talks about the hand hurting and and other parts of the body coming to the hand's aid and rescue. Paul never says, judge the hand and determine whether or not the hand is valid in its claim of pain. He just says, reach out to it, love it, nurture it, restore it, correct it. All of those things. Soul family, part of our family is hurting right now. Our black brothers and sisters are hurting. Now is the time for the white majority and all other minorities in the church to rally to our black family members to comfort them, to invite them to process the pain because this is always in conflict. The first step towards healing recognizing that someone else is in pain and moving towards them for the sake of healing, not for the sake of validation or judgment or debate. White guy? Asian woman? Spanish teen? It's right now when you need to dig deep, muster the courage to actually ask one of our black soul family members how they're doing during this time of racial tension. Give them some space to process without judgment, without defensiveness. Just give them space to process. And then ask, how can I help? This is where unity always, in any relationship, in a marriage relationship, in a parental relationship, in a friendship, in a work relationship, this is where any relationship has to begin. It's in the position of compassion. Jesus said in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 11, these words, a kingdom divided against itself will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. This is where we get the statement, united we stand, divided we fall. This series that I'm preaching is an attempt to help the church set an example of heaven on earth. In Matthew 20, Jesus chastised his followers for fussing about who would be in charge and who would be in power. Who was going to gain control? Power is so easily corruptive and divisive. Jesus told his followers that among them, it should be different. Among them, they shouldn't look like the world. Power should not corrupt within the church like it corrupts in the world. It should be different with those that follow Jesus. The people of God are to be a contrast community to the world. United and standing in contrast to a world that is divided and falling. Now is the time for the Christian church to set the standard of heaven for the world of earth. I want to show you what 
this contrast looks like visually by capitalizing on recent events. In just a moment, listen carefully, in just a moment, I'm going to show you that infamous picture of the police officer with his knee on George Floyd's neck. I'm going to show that to you. So be aware of that. That's coming. If you don't want to see it, close your eyes. If you don't want your kids to see it, do something right now to move them out of frame, out of view, because I'm going to show it in just a minute. The reason I'm showing this to you is to contrast what power looks like in the kingdom of the world and what power looks like in the kingdom of God. The contrast picture is from a racial reconciliation service we had a while back that you might remember after the events of Ferguson. When we gathered our soul family together and we prayed for one another across racial barriers. Now I know that a planned exercise at a worship service does not mean that our church is somehow emptied of all trouble racially. I know that's not the case. I, I don't pretend to know that. I just don't know of a better way to illustrate the contrast between the two kingdoms related to power. Here we go. Here's the picture. Let's show that picture. This is power in the kingdom of the world. This is what power looks like in the kingdom of the world. Now let's go to the next picture. This is what power looks like in the kingdom of God. Let's go back one picture. Power in the kingdom of the world. Contrasted. Next picture. Power in the kingdom of God. Where a police officer would humble himself before a young black man and say, I love you and I want to serve you because Jesus called the church for it to be different, for it to exercise power through serving. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are at times force needs to be applied. I get that. I was a parent once. I know sometimes force needs to be applied. But I also know that that force has got to come from a place of servitude. Over the next few weeks, we're going to study how the Bible calls God's people to treat any minority among them. No matter who the majority or the minority is, an unsung topic, an unsung topic of the Bible is how relationships of power are to work in godly ways. So let's start with the American context we live in. And I know this sermon is a little bit longer than normal, but I'm inviting you to stay with me because this foundation, the biblical foundation of last Wednesday and the foundation I'm laying right now, I'm asking you to stay with me so that we can build on it towards transformation and change. We think about the American context. So think about yourself in the nation of America. Are you in the majority or in the minority? Are you in the racial majority or the racial minority? 
The U.S. Census Bureau reports that of 2000, as of 2019, the white race makes up 77% of the population. Blacks make up 14% of the population, and Spanish make up 18% of the population. So if you're white, you are the racial majority by far. In Anne Arundel County, we mirror the nation. The white race population, 76%. The black race population, 15%. The Spanish race, 7%, and is gaining strength every single day. So our country looks, our county actually, looks demographically like our nation. Now, here's the contrast. I wear this bracelet from Kenya when I visited back in January with Compassion International. I wear this little bracelet to remind me of those people there and what, what, they, what they deal with. If you live in Kenya, the black race makes up 92%. European whites make up less than 2%. And most of them are on business visas of the population. In Kenya, whites are a definite minority. Being a majority or a minority depends on where you live racially. In the U.S., and in Anne Arundel County, the white race is the majority by a lot. But what does that mean on the street? Think of it this way. If you're speaking in pure terms of demographics, if, if demographics were the illustration you're using, this is how it shakes out. If there's a job opening and 10 people if 10 people are actually applying for that job, according to pure demographics, seven will be white, one will be black, one will be Spanish, and one will be from another minority. So whites have over a 70% chance of getting that job beyond any other minority. This is what it means by white privilege. Now I know that's an inflammatory term for a lot of people on every side. But think about it just demographically, by simply mathematics and numbers, by ratios and percentages. Privilege means enjoying a benefit that most cannot. It simply means the benefits that come along with being the majority. In other words, any majority has its privileges. It's that way whenever I'm going out to eat or going shopping or whatever, and my daughters are in the car. I got three women against one guy. Majority always seems to win. We always end up going where they want to go. So call it white privilege, but it's really majority privilege. In the U.S., 77% white majority privilege. In Kenya, 92% black majority privilege. I'd say having 77% odds in my favor of getting a job, of winning an election, of securing a loan, or a job bid is a privilege. 77% odds of finding a baby doll with white skin in a baby doll owl. 77% of the odds of walking into a salon and having someone actually know how to treat my hair are all benefits. That 77% of the population just don't have. 
Now, if the color of your skin has never caused you a social problem or a social limitation, you're enjoying the privilege of race majority. Being white is a privileged social position in the U.S. and in Anne Arundel County and in our soul family. Because in our soul family, the white race is the majority race. And by and large, majority rules. No matter what you're talking about. That's not a statement of human value. That's a statement of numbers. Now bringing it home to our own soul family, at any given time, when we gather together as a soul family, more than 77% of the people there will be white. Is that someone's fault? Should white folks feel shame or guilt about the dem demographics? Of course not. That's ridiculous. But should white folks feel compassion or interest in being sensitive to minorities? Of course they should. That's just right. Let this sink in for a minute. Let it just sink in. It's only been 56 years, 56 years since black people were allowed to vote. It's only been 56 years since black people were allowed by law to drink out of the same water fountain as white people. It's only been 56 years since black people were allowed to sit in the same section on a bus or a sporting event or go to the same school as white people to shop at the same stores, to use the same bathrooms, to eat in the same restaurants with white people. It's only been 56 years since being, being given that freedom from white people. A friend told me recently that when she was a little girl, she vividly remembers going with her dad to get a haircut. And while there, a black man came in and sat down to get a haircut. The white barber stopped what he was doing, looked up, and said, Boy, what are you doing in here? You know we don't serve your kind. Now get back to where you belong. That was 48 years ago. Just 48 years ago. Recently, I was shopping and asked a white store clerk where a different store was. And he told me, oh, it's across the tracks past Blacktown. That was only a week ago. Yeah, it's only been 56 years since the law identified black people as equally human as white people. This is white privilege, being the majority. Is it wrong to be the majority? Of course not. But is it wrong to be insensitive to those who have been oppressed for centuries? Of course it is. 
The white privilege quarter finally dropped for me and the rusted racial wheels in my mind finally started turning when white privilege was explained to me this way. Imagine playing the game of Monopoly for some two hours. Think of all the property, all the money, all the power that you could gain after two hours of playing Monopoly. And then imagine you invite someone new to the game starting them out with basically nothing after you've been playing for two hours already. That would be like the story of whites and blacks in America. Imagine playing this game of democracy for 357 years. We've been at this game for 357 years of democracy and then inviting a black person to start playing with almost nothing. It's only been 56 years since inviting the black minority to join the white majority in this democracy game. That is white privilege. It's not my fault. It's not my fault that I was born white in America. And it's not Elder Daryl Wilson's fault that he was born black in America. It's not my fault that I'm in the majority and Sophia Council member Jamie Harris is in the minority. It's not my fault. It's not her fault. I've been given much privilege as the majority. Daryl and Jamie have been given less privilege as the minority. White folks enjoy many benefits regarding being the majority. Many benefits related to being the majority. This is the privilege of being given much. Listen to the words of Jesus when he spoke of some who were given much and some who were given little. Luke chapter 12. When someone has been given much, much will be required of them in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Over the next couple of weeks, we will look at how God calls people with privilege and power and prosperity to treat people who have less privilege and prosperity and power. This is what the kingdom of God looks like that we're going to describe in the next few weeks. This study ultimately will not turn out, it's not going to turn out to be a white and black thing. However, I will use the current white and black racial tension to help us focus on these biblical principles to have and have not relationships. On our Facebook Live, Wednesday nights, I will host uncomfortable conversations between white and black people for the sake of reaching mutually compassionate sensitivity. Remember, the white majority is indeed a race like any other minority. Just like yellow, just like black, just like brown races, white is a race and deserves equally compassionate listening and interest and sensitivity from all minorities. All conversations that are healthy are a two-way street. You know this in marriage, you know this in friendship, you know this everywhere. It's got to be the same in race. My hope is that all of us, red, yellow, black, 
brown or white, will become as precious in each other's sight as we are in our Father's sight. I promise to do my best to be biblical and balanced. I promise to represent both the majority and the minority position. I will never know what it's like to be a black person in America. And black people will never know what it's like to be a white person in America. But I'm hoping that this series will move the racial reconciliation ball down the field inside our church. And then leverage the unity achieved inside our church to help move the racial reconciliation ball down the field outside our church. White, red, yellow, black, brown, here's the question to ask if you really care about your soul family. Here's the question. When you're talking to a person of another race, ask, how are you coping with all this racial tension? After they vent a bit, then ask, how can I help you change your world? Only when we approach the subject in this manner, only when we walk up to a minority or a majority and say, hey, how are you coping with all this racial tension? Only then will we give space to vent a bit and then ask that question, how can I help change your world? And just keep asking the question. In addition, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we're going to do as HCC. I, we, are going to host a racial reconciliation reform team. I'm going to appoint it, and we're going to start actioning it to help guide our church to best practices of earthly diversity and heavenly unity. This coming Wednesday, we will stream our live monthly worship night on Facebook, and our theme will also be Only United Will We Stand. Please tune in this Wednesday at 7 o'clock for our monthly worship night. And also in this church app, I've added some really amazing videos that are super helpful for the majority to understand the minority. Because I'm typically ignorant with regard to that. These videos are really great in helping move us towards understanding. But hear me. When you watch these videos, I'm not saying these videos are perfect, and I'm not even saying they're rational at times, but they really do help with understanding each other. Black folks, over the next couple of weeks, I hope to help you and other minorities get a sense of what it means to be a white person in America, as I strive to know what it means to be a black person in America. For this conversation need to be healthy, it needs to be openness in both directions. Our official position on racism is posted on our social media sites and our website. You can check those out. On June 24th, I'm going to host a Facebook Live with some of our black leaders to have a really frank open two-way discussion about all this racial tension and I really believe that if we can get real honest lines of communication open between the races inside the church the unity we experience on the inside will spill over to the outside the first step 
is openness to know those that are different. And I've got to tell you, I'm not looking for any outside organization to bring peace in this nation. I'm looking for the church to do that. That's what I dream of. Because the media on every side is polarizing people for ratings sake. The media on every side is polarizing people for ratings sake. We have got to disconnect from the media and connect to the Messiah if we are ever going to get clear-souled on this issue. Jesus prayed that his soul family would be united. Let's make our Father happy this week, our Heavenly Father happy this week as we embark on this ambitious path because only united will we stand. Well, would you stand with me? Wherever you are, in your home, get that plate of biscuit and sausage out of your lap and put that coffee down and and stand up with me. Maybe you feel like you're in a place not to stand and you want to kneel. You just want to kneel in the presence of the Lord to open yourself up to the Lord, to humble yourself before the Lord, to place your hands symbolically on His feet or imagine using your imagination to place your hands on His nail-scarred feet and say, Lord, I'm open to being more like You. Maybe that's where you are. So whether you're standing or whether you're kneeling, right now is the time for spiritual response. Right now, if you're looking for prayer, I'm encouraging you to use the links and the information on our screen to move into our virtual prayer rooms. Maybe right now you just you want to make sure you're up and you're singing and you're, you're worshiping with us. Right now is that time. If you need prayer, if you need prayer for anything, we've got prayer counselors waiting for you. Just use the information on the screen. Get to that prayer room and sense what God is doing in your life through that experience. But for all the rest of us, I'm encouraging right now as we sing just this one song, If you're watching other than Sunday, you can always submit a prayer request on our online or social media platforms. But right now, you can have this time of response to the Lord. I know that this sermon likely addled many people from all different walks, and I don't expect to have won anything. But I do expect that we're going to have a balanced conversation within the church so that that unity will help us stand as we step up and stand out in the community. I'm looking forward to not only racial reconciliation, but I'm also looking for cultural and system reform. Not in general generic terms, but in very, very specific terms. And that's why I'm putting together this team. So even right now as we pray, don't disconnect. Don't think the service is over. Let's just take one minute and just pray a prayer of unity. Pray a prayer of unity for our church and ultimately that our church might have influence in our nation, particularly in our community. Right wrongs, champion goods, and step up and stand out for the sake of being united.